witnesses and, and what this means and how this um, applies to us and, and affects us as we see what John is writing for, for them in that day, but as well for us uh, today. Let's read verse number uh, 6 uh, down through 12. It tells us, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, and uh, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not... God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life, and he that hath not the son of God hath not life. Now as we come to this point today, let's look at verse number 6, starting here. It is the Spirit that beareth witness because the Spirit is truth. We need to understand the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit and the Bible work hand in hand. What often happens with many folks is that they read the Bible um, before they are saved and they have no idea what it means. And that's because they can't understand it. The, the carnal, fleshly, worldly mind or heart cannot understand the spiritual things. That's what the Bible clearly teaches us and tells us. It is when we are born again that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes in and dwells us. And what does He do? Well, He corrects us and convicts us, but He as well consecrates us to the work of God and to the study of the Word of God. And so He allows us to understand do we understand everything? No. Do we understand all the depths and the riches and the heights? No. Would we like to? Certainly. Nevertheless, what we do see is that the Holy Spirit that enables us and, and allows us to learn and to grow more, He fills us, He strengthens us. But what the Holy Spirit does and how the Holy Spirit works is through the Word of God. He is continuously and ever pointing us to the Scripture. And by pointing us to the Scripture, He is pointing us to the Savior. This book from Genesis to Revelation is not just a, a list of do's and don'ts, but it is about one singular person. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has accomplished for us so that we might be redeemed and restored and reconciled to God. And so it is this spirit of truth that, that bears witness. Now specifically in this context, what, what John's been dealing with is he has been giving assurance to believers, but he has as well been giving an apologetic for believers to those who are coming against the faith or to those who have left the faith entirely. And what they have been doing in his day, and what they still do in our day, it is still very much prevalent, is that they are attacking the deity or even the humanity of Christ. We must be sure that we understand both. We must be sure that we are willing and able to defend both. We often think about evangelism in our world, and certainly we need to have more evangelism. We need to be more um, fervent in our personal evangelism, but we have to understand that evangelism and an apologetic go hand in hand. You won't have one without the other, much like with the Spirit and the Word. And what that means is this. It's not that we're apologizing for our faith. That's not what that means. It's the idea of defending it, defending it and showing that it is not just so important to know what we believe, but also why we believe it and then how to present that clearly. What often happens is everyone here in cultural Christianity land is able to say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, that's a what. What's the why, right? The why then shows those who are real believers and those who are not. 
but to communicate it effectively shows those who are living by faith and walking in the truth and by the Spirit of truth. Now, the Holy Spirit, as John has been talking about, what is his job specifically here for them in this context? He is bearing witness. The Holy Spirit bears witness of the truth of Jesus' deity and death as a man for the remission of sins. We often think at times, we go to these different extremes when we think about Jesus. We either go, He is 100% God, and yes, He is. We often overemphasize His deity at times, but not that we can, but we do so at the expense of forgetting that He was in human flesh and died a real human death and faced human problems and emotions and, and, and pain and sorrow and all these things. We've got to understand that in John's day, and what they do today as well, and what was so prevalent for John that he's defending, is that there were those who were attacking the deity, saying that he wasn't God, he was just a man, or they were saying that he was uh, some sort of spirit, but he was not a man. He did not really die a death. If Jesus did not literally die, then we do not have access to eternal life. We do not have the opportunity to have our sins forgiven. Jesus, the God-man, had to die and be raised again to offer us eternal life. And so what the Holy Spirit does is as He convicts of sin and He consecrates us, He points us to Christ and shows us not just what Jesus has done or what Jesus has said, but even more so, and what's a little bit deeper than that, is who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? He is the God-man. And that is what of so critical importance here for John. Now, uh, another commentator writes dealing with this, and, and he goes to the link, so we'll do some pausing here in this. He says, Having made the point that those who truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God also believe that He is the one who came by water and blood, the author now indicates that the Spirit Himself testifies to this truth. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. In 4.6, and we can read that for just a moment, he says uh, in 1 John 4, 6, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not. Hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He goes on and says in 4, 6, The author describes the spirit as the spirit of truth. And in the upper room discourse in the fourth gospel, Jesus describes the spirit in a similar way. Three times. John 14, 17. John 15, 26. And John 16, 13. There in that upper room discourse, let me pause it for just a moment. Jesus is spending so much time on his last night, his last moments teaching. And what does he teach on? He teaches them that he is going to leave, he must leave, and that it's better for him to leave so that the Holy Spirit will come to them and that they must be dependent upon the Spirit. And then as they begin walking in the garden, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, abide in me. But for us to understand about this abiding work of the Spirit of God is that we've got to know what He does, is that He is constantly pointing us to truth. And what is truth? That's the key question. Well, truth is the Word of God. So the Spirit works with the Word of God, but the Word of God ultimately is about Jesus Christ. He goes on and he says, both here in 1 John 5, 6 and in the fourth gospel, the role of the Spirit is to bear witness to the truth about Jesus in the fourth gospel, the Spirit's testifying role is mainly bearing witness to Jesus against the world. In 1 John, the Spirit's testifying role is mainly bearing witness to believers concerning the truth of the message about Jesus that they have heard from the beginning. If you remember, what John has been doing here is nothing new. 
nothing groundbreaking, but rather he has said in chapter 2, verse 24, let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is a promise that he hath promised us even eternal life. We find that John is not trying to bring about some sort of reinventing of the wheel, but he's pointing back to the truth of the Scripture, to the truth that they have already been taught. So what we've got to understand is when we talk and we say phrases like, oh, well, that's just an old Sunday school lesson, or that's just simple Sunday school stuff. Well, it's the simple Sunday school stuff that we need. It's the simple truth of God's Word that we should never grow tired of. It's the simple truth of the Word of God, the power of the Spirit of God that enables us and grows us, slowly maturing us and slowly working a work within us to make us more like Christ. He goes on to say, The author invokes the Spirit as a witness to the truth of the fact that Jesus came by water and blood because he says the Spirit is the truth. At a minimum, this constitutes a guarantee of the truthfulness of the Spirit as witness to Jesus. But it may also simply, excuse me, but it may also imply as truth is personified in God elsewhere, 1 John 5.20, and in Jesus in the fourth gospel, John 14.6, so also it is personified in the Spirit in this verse. So what does this mean? If we want to know what truth is, truth will only be found in God. Now, there is truth that this world has that is all sorts of mixed up. Today, the modern phrases and the modern teaching is Everyone has their own truth. Well, that, it is literally impossible to have your own truth. If, what is, let's do a little class participation here. Help, help me out here. Two plus two is. All right, we got one. There's always one class clown, right? There's always one. We're going to stick him in the corner. <laughs> two plus two is four. Now, let me ask you this again. We'll go a little bit deeper. How many times... Right. If you were to do 2 plus 2 equals 4, right, and that's true, and then you would all say that except for the one of you. How many times is that true? Always. You agree? <laughs> okay. <laughs> right? It's always true. Now, what if one day you wake up and you say, you know what, today I just don't feel, I, today I just feel like 2 plus 2 is 5. You know, it just makes kind of more sense to me. Would you be right? No. Would it be your truth? No, it would be your delusion, right? So we've got to understand that in the world that we're living at today, everyone says that they've got their own truth and you can find your own truth. Yet at the very same time, they say that there is no such thing as objective truth because everything is subjective. So what they're really saying is there is no truth except for my truth. And if your truth doesn't line up with my truth, then your truth attacked my truth and your truth is wrong and must be untrue and therefore destroyed so that my truth can prevail so really what we're saying is that everyone's subjective truth is their own objective truth. Meaning this, that what I think and feel, if I think it's right, then that has to be right for everybody. Well, here's the idea. We've got it all backwards. God has already spoken truth. God is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So what we've got is today, and in John's day here as they're writing this, is that everyone is trying to do that which is right in their own eyes, Everyone wants to have their own truth, ultimately for a deeper reason. It's because everyone wants to be their own God. It comes from a heart of idolatry. It comes from a heart that is puffed up and prideful and raised up and say that only I can be right. We don't want to submit to the truth that is already there. And the truth of God has already been declared. 
So what does the Spirit do? Well, the Spirit personifies truth through the Scriptures and points us to the truth of Jesus through the Scriptures. So if we want to know truth, it is going to be found through the power of the Spirit of God, through the power and authority of the Scriptures. Now, does this mean that there are no other good books out there? That's not what that means at all. Rather, what this means is that we talk about the Scripture being inerrant, infallible, right, and inspired, and it absolutely is. We've got to understand that it is sufficient for all things. This is the truth that you need. We can feed on many different great books and teaching and listen to great preaching, but if none of it is centered and based solely on the Word, then it doesn't matter. All that matters about truth and what you believe and why you believe it and how to communicate must come from the Spirit pointing us to the Word of God. Now, we get into verse 7 here. The Spirit points us to truth, and here's then we find the, the triune heavenly witness of verse number 7 here. Verse number 7 tells us, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, I do want to point out for just a moment here that there are many today who... Um, have sort of combined or condensed verses 7 and 8 or even eliminated verse 7 altogether. And they've had different arguments and opinions as to why they have based on different manuscripts and things. We're not going to get into much of that today, but what we're going to understand is this. Verse 7 is very key and important because from the Old to New Testament, God has not changed. God is God. He remains God, always will be God. He is the one true God. He is the God from eternity to eternity, the one who holds everything in His hands, the One who rules over all things. And He is, and always has been, the triune, thrice holy God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the three in one. The understanding of the Trinity at times is difficult for our, our finite brains to understand the infinite, right? Would you agree with me with that? Right? I, I would love to say as a pastor and as someone who studies the Scripture, this is, this is my life, right? It's not just a job, this is my life, it's what I do. I would love to say I understand everything to its absolute death, but I don't. That's the beauty of Scripture, and that's the beauty of the work of the Spirit, is that He's continuously taking us deeper if we would simply be willing by faith to go. Those that stay in the shallows do so not because the Lord has not shown them anything, but rather because they have not been willing to be shown anything. All right. So you go as deep in the Word of God as you, as you desire. You're as close to the Lord as you desire. What we find, though, is the necessity of the witness here because what these witnesses do point to the truth of Christ, point us to the truth of the Word of God, but it reiterates perhaps one of the greatest and and if not most key and pivotal foundational doctrines that there is, and that is the doctrine of the Trinity. It is the doctrine of God to know who He is, that we do not serve three separate gods. We serve one God. The three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's not that at one point in time He's the Father and then He becomes the Son. And then This is a popular theory by some folks, that God was the Father until Jesus came, and then He was Jesus, and then Jesus died, and then sent the Spirit, and the Spirit was God now, and, and all this stuff that is sort of interchanging. That, that's, that's not right. That's a wrong view of understanding who God is. He always has been. If we think about this, and if you've been coming to Genesis, you should know this. In Genesis chapter 1, what do we find? We find the doctrine of the Trinity. That at the very work and dawning of creation, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are very much at work. Author of the Scripture even talks about this, that it was Christ who created. He was not created, but rather was the Creator. That the three 
in one were together in perfect unison and fellowship throughout all time and eternity. Now, the necessity of these witnesses is important because in John's day, especially that of those who were coming from a Jewish background, they had to have witnesses in a court, right? If you even think about even in our own day and age, right? If you go to court, right? You've got to go to court and it's a big trial. Well, what do you need? You need witnesses, right? Who saw it? What did they see? Why did they see it? Well, How did that affect it, right? All, the whole thing. Because what does witnesses do? It verifies truth. So why can we trust the Gospels? Why can we trust the Bible? Because these folks are witnesses, literally. Not just bearing witness of saying what they think, but bearing witness of what God has demonstrated literally with their eyes. John had already said this earlier on in, John, in 1 John 1.1. 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. Do you think John here was a witness? Yes. How do we know? He says, heard it, saw it, looked, and handled. And so if anyone knows what it means to be a witness, it's John here. But here he talks about a greater witness, and that is the witness of heaven. He says there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. So it's one record, record of God. Yet it's three and one. The triune record, but the triune God here. Uh, Jackman writes about this to help us a little bit. He says, It is because there are three witnesses so united that we can have certainty, uh, since in any court of law this would provide the strongest evidence of truth. In Jewish law, it was necessary to have two or three witnesses for um, a case to be carried. You can see that in Deuteronomy. It was a principle recognized by Jesus in John 5, who adduced, uh, John the Baptist, the work that he was doing, and the Father who sent him in the authentication of his witness and claims. Here, the three witnesses all agree that Jesus is the Son of God, just as John testified at his baptism, and the centurion testified at his death. So whenever the, the same Spirit brings the truth to light in our lives today, we are brought to confess Jesus as Savior, Lord, and God. Yet human witness is of little significance in comparison with God's own witness to His own truth. Now, if we remember back in John's Gospel, this was important here, especially that last line of what Jackman writes here. Human witness is of little significance in comparison with God's own witness to His own truth. As we talked about truth a little while ago, about everyone's own truth, you can have your truth and your feelings, even if your differences of opinions that you're entitled to, at the end of the day, what God has said and who God is that is true, and it will never change, right? So here's the issue that we've got today. Well, we've got those who would say, well, I, I don't believe in, in God, and that is nothing new either. You cannot believe in something and that something still be very much real, right? That, that something does not change, right? If, if this carpet is red, would you all agree? Let's try it. Is this carpet red? Okay, all right, there we go. Now, if this carpet is red, if there's anyone in here, say who we want to pick on, probably nobody, someone will get upset. If I say, though, you all say it's red, but I think this is the prettiest blue carpet I've ever seen, what would you say to me? You'd say, get your eyes checked. Are you okay today? What medicine are you taking? All those things. Why? Because clearly it's red. But I feel this 
So you are wrong, even though this is evidential. See, what the world would have us to think and what sadly many commentators would have us think is that we have a blind faith and we do not. Faith is the uh, evidence, I think so, for it. it is a confidence and a trust of what we have seen. And the fact is this, the Bible tells us clearly that every one of us has some of these truths already there written upon our heart. We know, we know that God is not only real, but we know that we're accountable to Him. Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. The invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So there is no excuse. There is no excuse to not surrender to the truth of God's Word and the Spirit of truth just because we don't feel like it or don't agree. Ultimately, God's truth and God alone stands and there is nothing that we can do except run to Him for truth, for answers, for correction, for instruction. And there is no greater witness than His own. We don't need anything else. He's already spoken. We have a God who is not silent, but rather has spoken and speaks yet still today through His Word and through the power of His Holy Spirit. That God's testimony is always true. God cannot lie, will not lie, not just because lying is wrong, but it goes very much against His nature and who He is. As we look on in this, we see that in verse 7, these three that bear record, the Father, who's the Father? The Father. Who's the Word. Notice the capitalization. Well, that would be Christ, wouldn't it? It is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John who tells us in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, capitalized, and the Word, capitalized, was with God, and the Word, capitalized, was God. We find here that Jesus was not created by God, but rather is God. And then third, he says, of this heavenly witness, is the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, as you just talked about. And these three are one. The phrase, and these three are one, shows the triunity of the Godhead from eternity to eternity. God has never changed. The understanding and belief in the Trinity is essential. It is foundational. And it is non-negotiable. There are many today who are popular authors and things and many books that get published and can be very good on a lot of things. <coughs> Excuse me. But sadly, still miss the doctrine of the Trinity. <coughs> Excuse me. But here, the Trinity, we've got to understand how important it is. The Trinity is seen <coughs> throughout all of Scripture, Old and New Testament. And John includes the doctrine through his writing here for us to understand this truth even today. There are those that <clears throat> still attack the doctrine today. There are still those that will continue to attack the doctrine today. We must stand firm on doctrine. Not our own doctrine, but rather God's doctrine. The doctrine which we hold to is not our own, but the Lord's. We've got to understand that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, each one, Father, the Word, which is Christ, and the Holy Ghost, each testify of each other and show truthfulness. And ultimately, the Godhead points to the work, deity, and person of Jesus Christ and what He has accomplished to redeem sinful man. 
Let's look here at verse number eight. <coughs> the triune earthly witness. In verse number eight, it says, and there are three that bear witness in earth. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. First of all, let's deal with, deal with the spirit here. Stott writes, in contrast to verse 6, where the Spirit is placed last, he is now made the first witness, partly because the Spirit is of the three, the only living and active witness, and partly because the water and the blood are no witnesses without him, whereas he is independent of them, testifying both in them and out of them. The importance of this verse is that it declares explicitly what has so far only been hinted, namely that God is a subject in Christ, the object of the threefold testimony. The Spirit, the water, and the blood all testify to Christ. And the reason why <coughs> they agree is that uh, God Himself is behind them. The three witnesses form, in fact, a single divine testimony to Jesus Christ, which God has given. The perfect tense indicates the continuing validity in itself and through the Spirit of God's historical testimony to Christ. It is God who testified to His Son in history and the water and the blood, and it is God who testifies to Him today through His Spirit in our hearts. So what do we find here? The testimony is not only that of the heavenly witness of the three in one, but <clears throat> even here, what does the Spirit of truth do? And what does He talk about here? Well, the Spirit, the water, and the blood? Well, what is the focus here? The focus of these three witnesses is one. Now, if we go back to the courtroom illustration, we understand in the courtroom, you can have three witnesses, right? But if all three witnesses were there at one place but saw three different things, how's that trial going to go? Right? It's not going to be too good. But in order to win the trial, if you will, all three separate have to say one singular thing. It has to be one truth together in order for that truth to be solidified. So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit testify one truth. How about then the earthly witness that we're dealing with now? <coughs> the three that bear witness in earth, Spirit, water, and blood, <coughs> well, these three agree in one as well. And what is their truth? The truth ultimately is found that all truth in the work of God is found in Christ. As we've been talking about, on Wednesday nights in Genesis, it is Jesus Christ who is the promise and provision of God. The promise of God being the Word of God. And he's the fulfillment of the Word of God. Secondly, as the provision of God, which is the work of God. He does the work of the Lord. He has surrendered to the work of the Lord and to the work of the Spirit. And it is found in Christ alone, our salvation, our sanctification, our glorification, our entire life, our entire being, that all things are found in Christ. Ultimately, as this earthly witness, the Spirit who still bears record and witness. Think about this. The Holy Spirit is not removed from this world yet. Why? If it was, we'd be gone. If he was, you and I would not understand this Bible whatsoever. If you and I had not the Spirit of God, we would not understand spiritual things. We could not even be here. We could not live the Christian life. All of these things. So ultimately, it is the Spirit that is behind the testimony of the water and the blood as he reveals the truth of each to the believer. Because ultimately, any truth that you ever know about God is going to be revealed by God. 
You've got to understand this. It is the Spirit that has drawn you and convicted you of sin to point you to Christ that you would repent and trust Jesus to be saved. It is then the Spirit of God who continues to sanctify us and to cleanse us and to live now through us, the Christ in us. Uh, it is now this continued work of the Spirit in our life. Why? Because Jesus said that's what must happen. And Jesus said, I'm going to go so that the Spirit will come as this helper to you, as this one who will be an advocate for you, this one who will teach you and guide you and fill you. Do you think that there would be or would have been a Pentecost the way in which uh, they had in the book of Acts without the Spirit? No. It happens that day because the Spirit comes. How about this in your own life? Though you may not have had a Pentecost moment, if you will, or we may not have a Pentecost moment in a church, what do we find? That all the work of God in your life and in mine is found through the Spirit of truth testifying to Christ as we are appointed to glorify the Father. Second, the earthly witness is the water. Now, one, this is the witness of the truth and trinity at the baptism of Christ. There we see that the Father opens up the cloud. This is my beloved Son, whom I well pleased. The Spirit descends like a dove, and Jesus the Son is being baptized, right? With the trinity is very much there. But two, it is really the idea of the washing of the Word of God by the Spirit of God. He continuously cleanses us. He continuously renews us. The renewing of your mind cannot come from your own self, but must come from the Spirit of God. The transforming of your heart cannot come from your own effort, but only through the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth. And what does He do? He points us to the water, the water of the Word. It is the Word of God through the Spirit that washes us and continues to conform us in our walk. So to those who are saved and have the Spirit of God, the way in which you will grow closer to God is certainly through the Bible, but even more so, we've been talking about praying in the Spirit a lot lately. Well, we have to understand that praying in the Spirit is going to lead us to reading the Bible the same way that we pray. Reading the Bible, Lord, teach me. Lord, show me. Not some sort of new truth that is brand new, but rather the things that already are there. To have our eyes and our hearts opened and illuminated to the Word of God, to the truth that is already there, that we might be changed from within. <clears throat> Third, that we have the blood. The cleansing blood of Jesus that purges our sins and redeems us. Bears witness of Christ. The Word bears witness of Christ. The Spirit bears witness of Christ. And the Spirit is the one that makes the water, the Word of God, and the blood of Christ applied to our hearts. It is the Spirit that applies these truths to our hearts. The Spirit that applies these truths to our lives and allows us to then live them out. The greatest applier of the Word of God is not your efforts, but rather submission and surrender to the power of the Spirit of God from within. God has given us the gift of Himself. Why in the world would we continue to try to reach perfection on our own, but rather instead, why would we not surrender to the gift of the Holy Spirit that bears witness of the truth and reveals us the truth and washes us with the truth and points us to the blood of Christ? And the Spirit, the water, the blood, even in verse 7, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, what do they do? 
All three agree. It's one truth. And the one truth is the person and work of Christ. But in so doing, not only that, but all three give assurance to the believer, knowing that those who believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Go back to chapter 5, verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So how do we have our assurance? By faith. And what do we have? All of this witness and testimony and assurance that is given to us through the heavenly witness that points us to Christ, the earthly witness that points us to Christ. The power of all this is that we have an agreement of what is true, but we have as well an assurance of what is true. And that testimony of truth is found in the Spirit of God who illuminates all of these things to us and brings us to a deeper knowledge of the truth. The greatest thing that you and I can do in this life is not to have our heads so filled, but rather to have our hearts filled by the Spirit of God as He points us to the Scripture and shows us the Savior. So what do you need for salvation? That same thing. What do you need for your sanctification? That same thing. So continue to run to the true testimony of the Spirit of God that shows us both the witnesses of heaven, the the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and the witness of the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood that show us one truth, and that is Christ is the God-man who has offered eternal life and forgiveness to all who would put their trust in Him. Those who put their trust in Him continue now to live by faith in Him because His testimony is true. And by putting our trust in the testimony that is true, it allows the truth to live within us and through us to the glory of God. Let us pray. Lord, we love You and we thank You for this time. We're grateful that we can gather. We pray, Lord, that now You would prepare our hearts just to have these truths absorbed and applied to our hearts as well. We would be prepared to worship You and to glorify You during this service. Pray that You would move amongst us, stir within our hearts, and God, that You would accomplish what You set forth. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.